We spend little to no time empowering boys to raise their voices against sexual violence. That leaves them in the hands of a world that minimizes it and normalizes it. That's what we're talking about today on On Boys. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits. And I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. I am your co-host, Janet Allison of boysalive.com, along with Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. And how is school going for you? Are you frustrated in the mornings? Are the homework battles seeming to never end? Amy McCready has the answer for you. Her back-to-school Sir Thrival plan gives you the tools and strategies you need to help empower your boy to do his homework, to take responsibility. And that means you are doing less and he is doing more. That's what we're about, trying to raise independent kids. Go to boysalive.com school and you'll find all the details about this amazing program from Amy McCready of Positive Parenting Solutions. And now our guest, Gordon Braxton. Rape culture, sexual violence. These are not easy topics to talk about. And so many of us don't. We spend little to no time empowering boys to raise their voices against sexual violence, says today's guest, Gordon Braxton. That leaves them in the hands of a world that minimizes it and normalizes it. It's a powerful statement. And so we're going to talk with Gordon today because his book, Empowering Black Boys to Challenge Rape Culture, shows us how we can change that. Welcome, Gordon. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for the work that you have done, for the book that you have written, because you point out that this is really hard to talk about for a lot of reasons, not the least of which is that even though the Me Too movement happened a couple years ago now, the world at large still minimizes and normalizes sexual violence. And I feel like we have to start there a little bit. Like our boys 
maybe, especially because so many of our listeners are moms, our boys are swimming in this culture that we don't even necessarily recognize or know all these messages they're getting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think when we think about, well, I, I can, you all are actually a great um, test case for me because I know that one of you has raised daughters and one of you raised sons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so maybe you could tell me if I'm on point with this or not, but I, I suspect that when we bring daughters into this world in general, we see it as very integral to their training to prepare them for a violent world. And, you know, by the time they're 18, they have all, they have this whole toolbox of of things that they're using for self-protective measures. And I think if we have boys, we might do that when they're younger. And um, I think when they get precisely the age that we think that they can take care of themselves, we kind of abandon them in this conversation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they're then left to a world and there's no... Um, reciprocal conversation with boys, helping them think, well, what is my place in a violent world? What should I be doing here? Um, so we shouldn't be surprised when, when many of them don't do anything <laughs> because they've never been asked to do so or to even think about it. So it's so interesting that you, that you kind of place that marker in there as our young boys, it's like, you know, superheroes and, you know, be the force for good and all interesting. of that. And then exactly as you said you know when they when they're between tween and teen I think yeah. is the time of like oh well, they know it all they you know we've said what we need to say I, and I mean have we as I say that I think have we actually said that or are our messages I'm thinking for my girls it's like you know don't walk by yourself after dark and don't wear that thing. And all the messages we give girls for our boys, it's more like, you know, don't get her pregnant. It's kind of the mess. And we leave them there. It's interesting. I spent time with uh, one of my nieces yesterday. She's 12. And, you know, listeners, you know, this is all new for me. I have four boys. I don't spend a lot of time hanging out with 12 year old girls. Um, But in the course of our day, one of the things she mentioned is that her mom has already told her you cannot be alone with a male teacher. Like, I don't care what he says, what the reason is. I do not want you to be alone with a male teacher. I'm like, wow. Wow. That is not a message that I ever thought about really. You know, I grew up in a different time, different place. Things change. Uh, We can debate which messages we should be sending. But the fact is that's a 12 year old girl right now who is getting that message And I talked to my boys. I certainly never said, don't be alone in a room with a female teacher. Certainly never said that. And, you know, to your larger point, we're having this conversation increasingly in terms of race, right? It's not enough to not be racist. Yeah. So kind of pick up there talking about that analogy between, um, you know, racism or not being racist versus anti-racist. Um, not being violent versus being anti-violent. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the analogy and it, it perfectly explains, I think, some of the difficulty we have in talking around these issues because um, I don't know very many people that self-identify as racist. I don't think most people would have that conception of themselves, um, even if there are some things that they need to unpack. 
Uh, likewise, when you talk to boys, like there can be a, a similar defensiveness because most of them don't identify as violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you have someone that self-identifies as, as violent, I, I got I have to be honest, I've been talking to, to young men on this topic for about 20 years now. Someone that self-identifies as violent, I, I'd have a tough time figuring out what to say <laughs> to a person like that. Rather, I, I think the, the space where the majority of our boys are in they may not be personally violent, but they they are contributors to the culture in which violence is normalized. And we have to empower them, I think, to use their voices in this space. So it's not enough to just say, you know, I haven't personally done this thing, which is a lot of times where mm-hmm. boys, boys want to go. <laughs> they say, why are you talking to me? I haven't done any of this. Uh, that's, you don't get it. I mean, that's, you're missing the point, right? Like we're talking to you precisely because we think that you can help. Um, and, and that's where we need to pull in our boys. I was just heard a news clip yesterday about hip hop music. And this musician was relating how when he was a young man, he would listen to hip hop. And because there were words in there that he wasn't allowed to say, and I don't know who it was, but um, there was this big revelation of like, whoa, you can say those words in music. You can say that on the radio. It was a while ago. And there is that place of, you know, there's a lot of music out there. There are a lot of movies, a lot of, of media that promotes violence against women. So, you know, what do you tell a, a college age boy, a teen boy of like, oh, listen to the music and love the music, but don't do the thing, even though the music is promoting doing the thing. Uh, It's so confusing. Well, and Janet, I mean, that's even just such a tiny slice. Sure. And and then there's the porn that is literally saying, do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think where I, I try to strive to get boys to think, and I should say maybe back up a little bit, I will tell your audience that that boys love to talk about this stuff, boys and young men. It's, um, you know, I often get behind closed doors with a group of young men and, you know, the teachers are just amazed at how much everybody has to say, even if they don't have maybe personal experiences with what we're talking about. It's just that they don't have a, a platform normally to discuss some of these things. And it's, it's refreshing to them to see, have a space to see their peers and this random guy that walked into the room that are voicing you know, some things that they've been thinking about, but they just never had a chance to put words to. Uh, so again, I don't think it's any particular skill of mine. I just think that boys don't have a space to talk about this stuff. You all mentioned hip hop music, pornography. There are so many things that I think young men consume rather unconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they are given a space to truly think about what is my relationship to this thing? How do I truly feel about mm-hmm. it? They find that they have a lot to say. And, and there's a reason I, I'm trying to pull more men into this work because I've found it to be very fulfilling in my own life. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this work was my gateway to think about all those things that are quote unquote uh, male, masculine, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and think about what's my relationship to these things because I didn't, I didn't make this list. It was given to me by the world. It was and, given to you yeah. and then reinforced by all, by the music, by the movies, by the everything around you. Right. And, and I think, I think what's sad about um, maybe male socialization is that I do feel like young children, they come into the world in this mode to explore and to revel in what they personally love. 
but they get ground down after time. <laughs> and before we know it, like we're all doing the same things um, and we're all accepting the same peer cultures. And when you give boys to think about, well, you know, maybe you can choose some of this stuff for yourself. There, there's, there's a freedom in that. Uh, so I, I do hope that boys understand that there's, there's something in this for them as well. Um, it, it's just how they don't often see this work, but there's, there's a lot in this for men as well. Yeah. You know, I suspect, and I can't prove this, I can't back it up, but you said boys love to talk about this stuff and they are, they're looking for a place to, to make sense of it, to question some of it, to be like, where it's okay to talk about it. I am guessing that there is a big difference if you take a group of boys and say, let's talk about it, than if I take a group of boys and yeah. say, let's talk about it. Pretty much, I'm guessing. Yeah, Gordon, can you open that door for us? Can you tell us what it's like to go into a new group of boys and what are they saying? <laughs> okay. Can you tell us? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think you all are totally on the mark because there's a reason that peer education tests so well, I think, around this issue. Like if you walk onto a campus and you want to see what they're doing on this issue, there's a good chance that they're using a peer education program. Mm -hmm. And that's they test really well, and that's partially because, um, you know, as was said, the messenger is almost just as important as the message a lot of times in terms of how it's consumed. But I think, I think my experiences with boys is that when you first step into the conversation, it's very cliche. It sounds probably what you what you all are thinking <laughs> that it sounds like. It's probably how it is. <laughs> so they have very. Uh, cliched and stereotypical responses to this topic you know what about that's what what's about, safe right right what about false accusations well you know or if something does happen the world is just gonna believe her anyway like so why why would I say anything or I'm not a rapist this has nothing to do with me but I think it's important to note that that's always just where it begins it's always just where it begins it never ends there um, and usually what it takes is somebody in that room to give voice to something to, to articulate something and that gives it's amazing how that gives the room the social permission to open up and and you can see it in real time that boys leading amongst themselves and it, it's very important i think a lot of times that it comes from within their culture you know like i'm just i'm just some stranger walking in i'll, I'll be gone in a few minutes mm -hmm. but one of them speaks up that's powerful. And that's usually uh, what it takes to, to, to uh, change the tone in the room. Um, so yeah, it really is an amazing experience. In your book, uh, you have a chapter, and I don't remember offhand which one it is, but you have a chapter that talks about boys and men who decide to take on an anti-violent role and be more actively anti-violent face some complications, right? We've talked plenty on this podcast about the man box. I know you're familiar with it as well. You know, there are costs to stepping outside of the man box in our culture. And I want to talk about these because I think that we as the adults, if we're not aware of these complications and we're not thinking about them proactively and thinking about how to equip boys to deal with these complications like we can talk till we're blue in the face but nothing's going to happen yep one of the first ones you mentioned is 
you know, when you do this work and you become involved, you open yourself up to hearing the stories of others, to hearing stories of sexual violence, which can be difficult to process, difficult to bear. Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the reasons why I really think we need to pull men into this movement is because they all know survivors. They all have have friends and loved ones. That are, they may not know it, but they do. Yes. Um, and they they would ideally be in a situation that if someone disclosed to them, they're in a position to help. And I, I know when I first got involved in this, I, may, I probably thought that maybe a female survivor of sexual violence wouldn't want to disclose to a man. But I, I think by and large, after time, I think people just turn to who they trust. And, you know, if you're raising your boys in such a way uh, that people come to trust them, people are likely going to disclose to them at point in their life, some point in their lives. So it's good to talk to them beforehand. But to uh, Jennifer's point, that can bring its own trauma, right? Mm-hmm. And it's, it's generally not a helpful response to process that trauma with someone that just disclosed to you. So I think we need to encourage our boys to, if they need to, seek help themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's any secret that I got into this work when I was introduced to a community of men that were doing the same thing. You know, I didn't just organically look out as much as I like to think so. I didn't just organically look at the world and say, hey, this is a problem. I want to help. No, I was explicitly invited. And then I had a community of men that could, of men that could help me grow. Uh, and then I was under the guidance of women that had been doing this work for years. Um, so I, I think it's important that we, that when boys do want to help, that we help them find a community. And t- to your point, Jennifer, that's just as much so that they can process whatever trauma they're taking on uh, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, this is something I did not think about this as my boys were growing, but in hindsight, you have boys, they become teenagers, they, they interact with other teenagers, your son is going to come in contact with a survivor. Yes. I mean, if he is heterosexual and he is dating, at some point in his dating process, he is going to come across somebody who has experienced sexual violence. It may happen while he is dating somebody. And this can happen if, if he's homosexual too. I mean, sexual violence impacts people of all sexes, all genders. I did not talk to my sons about that. And that's a really tough thing for kids to bear and figure out. And what would be maybe some specific messaging that parents could share, especially with younger teenage boys? Like, I feel like I should have said, you know, if you hear about whatever, you can talk to me, find another safe adult. This is heavy, heavy stuff for children to hold on to. Right. And I think it's important that boys and young men respond in the capacity that they were approached, right? I think maybe sometimes their instincts may be to adjudicate, (laughs) to jump in and figure out what happened. No, it's not your role. You were approached as a Mm -hmm. friend, respond as a friend. Um, They're not mandated reporters, typically speaking, or anything of that nature. They're friends and loved ones, and it's Mm -hmm. okay to respond as such. I do think that we should encourage um, them to reach out to us if they need to process it. And I think the main thing that we need to help them understand, and I, I think boys understand it's just fine, is that these stories that are shared with them, they're not, they're not their stories per se. 
So it's not necessarily yours to, to go share with the world. You know, that's something you need to discuss with whoever disclosed to you. Mm-hmm. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable, creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. Um, so when they do reach out for help, it's important that we make sure they understand that they're reaching out to us uh, one-on-one. But I think the good thing is, though, there's there's a, there are a lot of resources out there now. There's a lot more than when I got started. And when I look mm-hmm. at, you know, some of the stuff that was going, that a lot of the people that I respected and who trained me, like who cut their teeth in the sixties and seventies, like we have so many resources out there compared mm-hmm. to what they were working <laughs> with. So I think when in doubt, you maybe consider reaching out to those local resources. Okay. Uh, pretty much every state has a, uh, a coalition uh, against intimate violence. Uh, and these are people like this is this is their full time job. And I'm, I'm sure they would love to hear from you and love to connect you to, you know, the resources that you need to help you. Yep. Mm-hmm. I got to go back to that room, Gordon. <laughs> go I, to, the maybe, room. to the room with those boys. <laughs> Let's go back there because how you know, so you have these conversations. They have they have these conversations with each other. How does it? How do how do you wrap that up for them? How do you send them out into the world? What is their what is their action plan? What is their standard that they bear out into <laughs> the world? Are they changed? Are they uh, have new eyes to look at relationships? I'm I'm so glad you said that, and that's why I'm so thankful to be talking to your audience because. To your point, there's only so much you're going to cover in an hour, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, we we want to talk about 301 concepts, and we're just this is the introductory 101 course, you know? Right. Right. Um, so I, I I do think it's important that parents follow up um, because it it is a process of growth, and I think particularly with men, I think it's important that they are trained. I think I think it's important that they understand the context of the the, the movement and the work that they're stepping into. And they're obviously not going to get that, you know, in an hour or whatever in a classroom setting. 
um, they need to connect with ideally local programs um, that can provide that mentorship and that training. But to your question, I think that the general standard that I try to send them out in the world with is just that to start to see themselves as change agents. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of times you can't see yourself as a change agent if you don't know that there's anything to, to change. Right, right. <laughs> and I think a lot of them just kind of view violence as an immutable factor of the world. But that doesn't have to be the case. I mean, there, there are so many examples of culture changing vastly and quickly. I mean, just walk into a high school from, from when you were there. It changes fast, actually. Mm-hmm. We, we like to think of culture change as like this very slow glacial pace. But no, it, it can happen really quick in a lot of times. And if at least at a local level, if a couple of young men can stand in one spot and say, well, this is not how we do things here that's powerful. And that can change, Mm. that can change an entire class, you know? Um, So I think that that's, that's the, the, to, to the way you phrase it, the the banner we're asking them to carry Mm -hmm. Um, and just put my own politics on the table. You know, when we start to think about where violence comes from in the first place, there's a lot of theories we could point to, but I tend to lean towards it. Sociological perspectives. I think it's, it's largely learned behavior men gravitate to behaviors that are incentivized and away from ones that are disincentivized. But there's a silver lining in that too, right? Because if we can, if we, if we train people to be violent, we can train them to be anti-violent. Um, and I think it offers a lot of hope. So I think, I think that's the lesson we need to walk away with is seeing the world is, is changeable mm-hmm. and, and not as static. And when we talk about gender, it can feel static a lot of times. Like, yeah, that's the way it always is. No, it's not. I mean, <laughs> just, just look at the way, I mean, how many things did men do differently a hundred years ago? The way yeah. we dressed and, you know, acted, it was completely different. You know, we would, if we, if you threw us back in time, a hundred years, there'd be a lot of changes. Sure. There'd yeah. be a lot of similarities as well, but there would be a lot of changes too. So this leads yeah. to um, another complication and uh, I haven't experienced it in this specific sense, but you know, you go to a conference seminar or you you have a great class and you are so inspired. And yes, yes, I'm going to do this work. I'm going to go out into the world. I'm, I'm going to do things different. And then you get into the same world and it, nobody else has necessarily changed and it suddenly gets a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. And when we're right. talking about, uh, you know, anti-violence work and potentially, you know, calling out misogyny and sexual violence, or even just not laughing at the joke, you know, yes. not laughing at the calling somebody a thought or a hoe or all these negative words that these boys toss around, that's hard. And you even mentioned, um, you know, the personal accountability is a complication here. You've had times when you're like, life would just be easier if I didn't (laughs) have to hold myself to this high standard all the time. Yes. Yeah. I think, I think it's important that we let boys know that they may not always get this right. I mean, Mm, mm -hmm the act of intervening in the culture is a tangible skill set in my mind. And it's one you have to practice the same as, as any other skill set. I don't think a lot of us, I mean, look at adults, like most adults aren't terribly good. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yep. that behavior. Um, so it does take practice, it does take training. And that's why I think it's important that you connect boys with any local resources that you might have. And there, there are okay. a lot. I'm just thinking about what Jen said and 
how we can bring this into a practical place for our mostly moms that are listening and how we can convey this to our boys in a in a daily way like when we talk about changing the culture oh that's it's you know like you said ah but can you change the class in your high school the class yes. you know the your group of friends and and i'm thinking about you know part of that is just calling to that deep place for boys to be the protector going back to the superhero you know mm -hmm. being the protector okay so if you guys are going out to the movies you son make sure that everybody gets to their car safely if it's late at night you you know let and this feels really gendered when i say it but you know you let the girls know that you're you got their back and you're watching and you're you're there to protect so that's like a little place where we can start to call up that deep place for boys and men to protect and to guard and to oversee and just be able to say that and communicate that in a group of friends. That's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So I love the example you gave. And I think if you talk to, to boys, the next question would be, well, how, how do you do that? Like, what, what do you, <laughs> what exactly are you saying <laughs> in that situation? And, and they'll work through it, you know, if you give if you give boys a chance to talk through it, but mm -hmm. it's not something that they probably have thought of beforehand. And that's why I think it's important that they have a space, because we do know that, um, you know, just from we have tons of research on bystander intervention. And one of the things that we do know is that people are more inclined to act if they've thought about their response in advance. So mm -hmm. I think I think parents play a critical role. And I think it's also important to help our boys understand that maybe they, they might not see immediate change. Um, and that's something you only get with the benefit of, of hindsight a lot of times. I can tell you, like, um, I have plenty of friends that maybe when I first started, uh, when I first took this on, I spoke to them and it didn't go so well. <laughs> and that was probably some of my own clumsiness and some of my own uh, awkwardness for talking to this issue. And I got better over time. But I can tell boys that like everybody that really came to matter in my life, they pretty much all came back to me in some cases years later and said, you know, I, I see what you were saying now. And I, I respect mm. the stance that you, that you took. And boys, they, they need to know that um, I know it can feel like in their peer culture that everything, everything's, you know, everything's it's, it's close to, well, I should just say they don't have a lot of time to look back on things. <laughs> Right. Where, they're, where not they really, yeah. they're not really reflective at that age. True, true. Yeah, but they should know that if they stick with it, if they decide who they want to be for themselves, I think they, in most cases, they will be pleasantly surprised at who comes to stand with them. I just think that's what we want to tell boys. Make your stand, decide who you want to be for yourself, and you may be surprised at, at who, when you look back behind you, <laughs> who's standing with you. That I message you that. shared there of time is so important for our parents too, because this is not, you're going to have one conversation and your son is going to take on an actively anti-violent protector role and nothing will go wrong. Nope. Uh-uh. It's time forward, backwards, mistakes. You mentioned, you know, maybe you didn't explain things very well as you were first coming to the work. We, the parents, we're going to stumble through too. This is over time. We are building good and strong men 
over time and we can't get overly impatient with them or ourselves. We just have to keep moving forward. So parents hear that, hold on to that. We need to talk about the additional complication for black boys in becoming anti-violent. And you write in your book, you share uh, some personal anecdotes, but the, you know, the historical concept is black boys growing up in the United States are pretty damn aware that black men have not always gotten a fair shake. And there is this push pull between I should defend fellow black men because mm -mm, have not gotten a fair shake in our culture. And now wait, you're asking me to sometimes not be on the side of men. And that's a <laughs> yeah. whole, whole layer to untangle. Help all of our listeners understand this because whether or not we are raising black boys, we are interacting with them and, and we need to know this information. Right. Well, I do, I do want to begin by saying you, you mentioned the man box earlier. I, I do want to, of course, acknowledge that, that I think on this issue, it's amazing how much similarity there is amongst all young men. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. no matter what group of audience you're talking to, regardless of race, regardless of um, any other demographics, you talk to a group of men about the pressures they're under, like they pretty much always say the same things, <laughs> no matter where you are. They may articulate it differently. And I think the methods of enforcement certainly change depending on where you are. But by and large, you're pointing to the same attributes, I think, that they're encouraged to take on as men. So I, I do want to say that. But, but to your point, again, I think messages need to be as targeted as possible. And that's, I wrote my book, particularly towards Black men in mind, young Black men in mind, because as you said, there, I think there are certain historical contexts that you, you just can't ignore if you really want to be authentic and talking to boys about this issue. And one of them is that they do have one a historical mistrust of law enforcement and criminal justice system in general, and they are fighting this narrative that they are presumed to be violent, and that that message is in so many places. And obviously, I can't speak for all all black men, all men. These aren't monolithic sure. groups, sure. Um, but I do think there are some you know some commonalities that you tend to see, and I, I just would invite our young men to consider that there there was more than one response to historical racial injustice, right? There, we can choose to push back against those myths and those stereotypes through our everyday actions, you know? And I also think it, it helps boys understand that these fights are not mutually exclusive, you know? And when you spell it out to them, they, they seem to understand that just fine. We could have a situation in which there is a violent man in play and the media's dealing with him in a, in a racist manner. Like both of those things could be true. And we need to get more nuanced in our reactions and fight against uh, social injustice in its entirety. And that can be tough to do. I think this is only worsened by, you know, the bifurcation of the media and so the social media. And like, it can be very easy to feel like we need to pick a team, pick a camp, so to speak, but I don't is not exactly something that is celebrated right now. I mean, the way things are, (laughs) it's either this or this, and you're right. right. Two things can be true at once. 
to your point, boys want to talk about these things. They do. They need our help to dissect all of these things. Cause yes, it is possible that this guy who is on trial and there may be all kinds of racist stuff going on in, in the media and the presentation of it, in the prosecution of it, in the evidence gathering. And he might also be guilty. I don't yeah. know. I'm just totally making up examples, but if we don't talk about this, um, we're kind of just letting our boys alone to swing between it's either one or the other. And that's not healthy. Right. And I think black and white perspectives, um, no pun intended, but they, they dominate our, our discourse. I mean, just, mm-hmm. just look at what's going on in politics right now or anywhere, but the world is far more nuanced than that. <laughs> and we need to prepare our boys to work in a world that has real complexity to it. But I think the good thing is, like I said, I think I think that boys recognize that nuance when when you call it out to them. They can see it just fine. You know, you call <laughs> out in your book that you talk to boys as you're listening and talking through things. You point out that sexual violence prevention is pro-black. Absolutely. You know, this this can be part of your social justice. This is not turning against a culture. This is we're not going to tolerate violence period. Elaborate that. You can do a better job of this than I can. <laughs> yeah. I, so I know a lot of my my origin story is that when I first got involved and I began to really listen to what women were saying around this topic, I was like, this, this sounds familiar, <laughs> to be honest. But when you look at maybe the arguments against um, social injustice, I, I see a lot of commonalities between what women have been saying for decades or centuries mm-hmm. on this issue and the, the um, plight of black Americans in America or in all people of color. And I was able to make those connections and that helped me. They don't always have to be um, a divider, which they typically are. They're, they're typically used as wedge issues to break us apart, but they, but they can be used as points of commonality as well. And that, that's, the, that's the voice we don't often hear. I mean, obviously the first reason why I think this, this, issue, this issue is pro-Black is because many victims are Black and that's part of our community too. And if you wanna think about holistic uplift of communities, I don't know how you can do it without dealing with this issue. Because mm-hmm. I mean, just think about all the energy that we lose every year to this issue, all the mistrust that's between us. If that energy could be channeled into a, a different direction, just, just think about what we could do. I mean, how many families and communities are destroyed by even just allegations of violence a lot of times. And if we could, if we could deal with those, like we'd be freed up to do so much more. And that's 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 true of all communities. So yes, I absolutely see this as, as pro-black and it, it fits into. Um, my existing concepts of social justice, just fine. (laughs) Your book is empowering black boys to challenge rape culture. As you just shared, you know, it really focuses on that and looks at these intersecting issues of, of race and gender and sexual violence. I encourage all of our readers to read this book. Even if you're not raising black boys, there's, um, a lot of great stuff in here that, like you said, it applies to all boys and it is helpful for all of us to understand these intersecting complications and issues to look at the nuances that exist in our culture. Because if we don't acknowledge that, if we don't acknowledge even things like we have work to do to 
unlearn and eradicate this myth of the black rapist, which as you point out has, you know, persisted and been demonized for too long, we're not going to get as far as we should on this issue as a whole. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell us um, where our listeners can learn more about you. I don't know if you are doing any speaking um, along with this book that you might wish to highlight as well, uh, and maybe point us towards some other resources. I, I have to thank the On Boys podcast for, for getting me out of my shell. The, the best way to find me is on Twitter, uh, just Gordon Braxton. Uh, you can find the book wherever it's on, it's on Amazon, wherever, wherever you buy your books, you, sh- you should be able to find it. Um, but I would be remiss if I got off and didn't acknowledge the wealth of resources out there. So if you're, if you're coming away from this from this podcast and you're, you're not sure where to go, I would just encourage you start with Google. <laughs> you, okay. you may be you may be surprised at what you find, because um, I know when I first got started, I was able to find so much community in books and media online. Um, folks like. Um, like Jackson Katz, Ted Bunch, the folks that uh, are called the men. Yes. I was able to find community in, in these men that I never met, but mm-hmm. I could I could I could still interact with them, you know. And there, there's so much out there. There there really is. I do have to acknowledge the many people that have come before me and contributed to myself. And of course, I think it's very important on this issue that we have to acknowledge the the pioneering woman that that got us that got us to where we are now. As you mentioned, this is still very much a countercultural issue, right? We've, we've had the Me Too movement all the, and everything, but we still got a long way to go. And when your boys mm-hmm. step up, like they're certainly going to be going against the culture <laughs> in most cases. Um, so if you can't find that community in person, I, I would just remind you that there, there is a growing and extensive uh, media library that you may be able to turn to. And this is stuff going back five six seven decades at this mm-hmm. point uh th- there's a lot out there so you may be surprised at what you find if you reach out i'm going to put some links to um previous podcasts and some helpful organizations in the show notes i'm not just telling you to go to the show notes because i spend my time writing them <laughs> i'm telling you to go to the show notes because there's going to be some helpful stuff there if you want to go further gordon thank you so much for sharing your time your expertise and your heart with us today absolutely my pleasure Thanks, Gordon. Thanks for being our listeners. If you enjoyed this podcast, found it valuable, please share it with a friend. And don't forget, and don't forget, if you're in the throes of back to school and homework battles, go to boysalive.com school. You'll find Amy McReady's Sir Thrival program and all the information and details are there. Again, thanks for being our listeners. This is On Boys, and we are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net.